When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't you just love war? It's so amazing. It's awesome, right? I mean, think about this. You have to buy party poppers at home when you want to have an explosive party. But if you're in war, explosions are paid for by the federal government, by the taxpayers. You don't have to actually spend your money, which is like a lot of the upsides of fighting endless wars around mm. the world, right? It's kind of like constant drama, but instead of like playing with actors and actresses, people are dying and families and children are exploding and like we're murdering people. But but it's also like it, it makes a good news cycle. It does make a good news cycle. And then we get the fun stories, the stories that we love so much here on You Are Here about the transgender people that have to escape Ukraine and the many other, uh, the myriad of other things that are very, very disconcerting and horrifying about war. And on a serious note, there are lots of horrible stories that come out of this. But there's also a lot of lying and there's a lot of opportunities for the mainstream media to be very dishonest, which we also no, love no, no. talking about. But you're forgetting this. America is not about the American people anymore. Mm. It is about what the media wants and feels. And Brian Stelter is, I've never seen him uh, other than when he got that mysterious long package, you know, delivered discreetly from adamandeve.com. I have never seen him more happy in my life. People are ecstatic. They have something to talk about other than COVID. And it's as if we like never fought a war in our life. There's never been a casualty. And and we can't stop. We can't stop the 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 war machine of the United States. And it almost feels like every time we, we just pulled out of Afghanistan, very sloppy, by the way, sort of like a prom night pullout. You know, it did the job, but it you know ended up with casualties. And now we find ourselves just fighting for some war that we're supposed to believe is real, even though every single media on the other end is being censored, deranked, and blocked in our country. So we don't really know what's happening. Well, in addition, in addition, I can't speak English today, Elijah. In addition to not knowing what's happening in relation to the war going on in Ukraine, and I guess other things that are happening around the world too, we also have some developments when it comes to COVID because we know how much you guys love the vaccinations. There's so mm -hmm. many weird stories coming out. Second in favorite to, to that. war. It usually goes war than vaccines for most Republicans. It's there like your favorite. Eli thing. Elijah's on top of it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Sydney Watson from the Creatively Named channel on YouTube, Sydney Watson. And my name is Elijah Schaefer, the biggest celebrator of war possible. We are live in Dallas, Texas, and you are here. see that you're wearing the uh, the pants again i'm wearing the pants you can't yeah, stop the back. pants you can't <sighs> stop the, you can't stop the pants luckily for us we have a very straight person here today who's uh, <laughs> unlike the last person who was here that was noticing things uh, joe kent who is uh running for congress district three in washington which is a hell of a state to run in as a right winger in general i mean what the hell are you doing joe honestly i mean this is crazy it is, yeah. Nothing I ever in intended on doing, but the district I'm in is a very unique and special place. We're actually fairly conservative, even though we are really just a suburb. Our biggest city is a suburb of Portland, Oregon, but a real big uh, contrast there on the other side of the river. So, yeah. yeah. Let's just say, like, people there are unique and they're interesting. And it's like, but what, I mean, besides the fact we're going to get into this, but uh, I want to say congratulations on getting uh, Trump's nomination on that. Like, hell yeah. How'd, yeah. how'd that happen? 
So, I mean, kind of a long story. I mean, I have a little bit of a history with the Trump administration. Uh, tragically, uh, very topical. I lost my wife. She was fighting uh, ISIS in Syria in 2019. She was killed in combat about a month after Trump tried to get our troops out the first time. So I had done 20 years in the military myself, was actually working in the intelligence community in the agency, the CIA at the time. Uh, had a chance to meet President Trump, uh, saw the whole thing go down kind of from the front row, the way that the, the administrative state, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, um, kind of went against President Trump's orders, ultimately you know, resulting in my wife and three other Americans getting killed after he tried to get us out the first time. So I told President Trump that he was getting foreign policy right. He was just being thwarted in a way that I had never seen before. I went in the military 18 years old, uh, served under Clinton, Bush, and Obama. And so transitions of power, I was fairly used to. It's a nonpartisan thing. We're supposed to follow the orders of the commander-in-chief. But the culture that I saw coming from the top down when President Trump came in was that the unelected bureaucrat class, they had no qualms with going against what President Trump had to say. So mm -hmm. my kind of cash-out moment was to tell him that, that, hey, you're getting the foreign policy right in a way that no other president has. You're trying to get us out of these wars. Um, but you're being thwarted every step of the way. And I thought nothing would come from that. I resigned from the agency right afterwards to go take care of my, my two young sons, moved back to the Pacific Northwest, and then kind of started an unofficial relationship with the, uh, the Trump administration. They called me and said, hey, the boss liked what you had to say, and he wants to hear more of your take on things in the Middle East. Wow. Because, yeah. I mean, you grew up in, um, in and because I'd love to get into uh, your military stuff, and I know Elijah would like to as well, and some of your opinions towards what's going on at the moment. But you grew up in Portland? I did. What do you what do you make of what's happened to the city? Because uh, we we yeah. talk about Portland and Seattle and some of these uh, other places on this show quite a bit, and it's it's very disconcerting watching uh, the well, not even steady decline, the the outward uh, eruption. Yeah, it's, it's of what's going on there. It's really tragic, and I, I think people that have only seen it on TV they should really take uh, take warning of what's happened in Portland, Seattle, and some of the other major cities in the country. But growing up in Portland in the '80s and the '90s. It was a nice growing, uh, I'd say, good mix of, of urban and suburban, uh, you know, life. Uh, the Pacific Northwest is so close to the, the outdoors that you can be pretty much in, in rural communities really, really quick. So I had a great childhood there. I thought it was fairly normal. I went to Portland Public Schools at the time. There was still, you know, we still said the Pledge of Allegiance. There was some, I'd say, left-leaning, but very harmless, you know, general Democrat, Bill Clinton-ish type of views uh, coming from the the educators in the community. So it wasn't common to be a Republican, but my folks were Republicans. They had, you know, very cordial, I mean, I'd even say some spirited, nice debates with some of our neighbors and friends that were Democrats as well. Um, so it was really sad coming back to the city I grew up in, you know, years later and just seeing it absolutely destroyed and all man-made. There was no economic downturn. Portland could have become the next Silicon Valley um, as California really cramped down on a lot of its uh, a lot of its tech industry. A lot of it was coming up to Portland because it actually is a great place to work. But just the erosion of law and order and this culture that just takes tolerance a little bit too far and never really kind of draws a line and says we actually have to have law and order and we have to have a responsible society. So yeah, from Silicon Valley to Psilocybin Valley, that's what <laughs> that's what Portland's become. I swear. I mean, yeah. hey, and no hate on on the weirdness of the culture, but they've swallowed the woke bullshit up. So I mean, they didn't just swallow; it. they shoved it up. Where in places that I people on our show have put things, but I, I am going to say like genuinely speaking, it is so far gone. And I think it's weird though, when you actually are in Oregon and Washington, which people don't understand a lot of them, like the metropolitan areas like Seattle, Portland, et cetera, are very liberal. They are not mm -hmm. liberal. They're very far left. I should yeah. say they're borderline communist, but the rest of the state, it's sort of like the issue California has with San Francisco and, and LA and San Diego, yes. but then central California and a lot of Northern California are pretty right-leaning Republican, where there's more Republicans in California, I believe, than in any other state 
in, in the union, but they don't have the power. They don't have the majority. So they don't have a voice. And I feel like that's what keeps happening in, in, in Oregon where everyone's just like, ah, you know, fuck it. They're just, it's just, they're all crazy. They're all Antifa, which is not true. They're all drug addicts. And it's like, dude, these are some of the most beautiful states in the entire union with some of the most magnificent works of God's creation. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it is so fascinating. The waterfalls, the forests, the mountains, the hiking trails. I mean, it's just not to mention the rivers and in, in, in the ocean right there, it's breathtaking. And so it's like, this is not a part of the union we want to just give up on. Like, we just want to say, you know what? Yeah, you can have it. Because the Pacific Northwest is not just Portland and Seattle. That's right, exactly. I, I always tell people, if you drive pretty much 10, 15 minutes, any cardinal direction out of Portland and Seattle, you're going to be in the heart of America, timber country, I mean, fishing and, and wildlife country, and then just patriotic Americans like you'd find pretty much anywhere else, like you'd find in, you know, Texas or Florida or, or anything else. So the stereotype doesn't really fit at all. And like you said, it's we are truly blessed by divine providence. So the third congressional district, for people who aren't familiar, we're just north of Portland, but we're one of two red districts in, in the continental U.S. that actually touches the Pacific Ocean. So we go from the Pacific Ocean all the way through timber country, kind of all the way out to the edge of the uh, the Cascade Range. So it's a great, great area that we is definitely worth fighting for i just don't understand though when you because i know I, I know that there's the argument that you don't actually have red states you have uh sorry you don't have blue states you have blue cities correct because that's what a lot of people say particularly about you know i i, I suppose the um the pacific northwest as well they mm -hmm. say once you get out of the major cities you will see that a lot of people are just you know gun toting everyday exactly. patriotic Americans. But what I find so interesting, though, is why these cities, because there's only a couple of them that have major sway in these areas. And I guess my question would be, how does one wrangle it back if you do have such a massive voting block in these tiny little blue areas? Because you could argue it's the same sort of here in Texas. You have um, areas that are turning blue when the wider majority of the state is quite red, or it used to be a deep red, maybe not so much these days. But then you have Dallas, for example, where everybody's a raging lunatic. So, I mean, how do we get it back? We, uh, the things that made us very unlucky, the extreme left in the cities really taking over, it can be worked out in our advantage because the, those cities elected absolute insane people as governors. So Jay Inslee up in Washington state, absolutely draconian with the COVID mandates. You know, he got ahead of Biden with the vaccine mandates. We just temporarily lifted our, our mask mandates. Hopefully it holds. They're talking about still forcing the kids to get the vaccine. I think they're trying to shove that issue down for the midterms, but this has actually created a really great opportunity for those of us that are looking to bring people people over to our camp. The medical freedom issue is huge, but then also everything else that's affecting the country right now that, that President Trump did an amazing job of, but I think a lot of people did, they had the Trump derangement syndrome. They couldn't see past the personality for the policies. Mm. But now when you have bare shelves and you have $5 a gallon gas, you guys, gas actually out here in Dallas, believe it or not, is cheap. Really? <laughs> yeah, we're getting close to the $5 mm. uh, uh, limit there in, uh, in Washington State. So, I mean, those issues right there, they create a great opportunity for us to talk about America First policies, why we need to be energy independent, a net exporter of energy to include everything happening on the world stage of foreign policy, why we need to bring back our manufacturing base, what President Trump was trying to do to make working class wages rise between 2017 and 2019, mm. and then also just saying never again to this COVID nonsense. There's a lot of, I get people that come to my events all the time that say, hey, either they voted for Biden, but they didn't vote for what's happening right now, or a lot of people that were just like, hey, I wasn't politically engaged. I thought all of it was horrible, but now I see when they're trying to mask my kids, vax my kids 
tell me I have to take the job, the jab or lose my job. Like I'm with you guys. <laughs> you, mm. you guys seem fairly reasonable now. So it's actually, this, this environment as horrible as it is, has created a great opportunity for us to, to seize upon, I think, and bring people over to our side. Yeah. Nothing's made uh, more people move away from the left than Biden, I would say. <laughs> right. he's, he's been like the great red, it, this is like the great red pilling and it started with the Biden administration well, and I wanna, messing wanna, up so much stuff. Well, yeah. And I, you know, I think it's really interesting because you bring a lot to the table and I do want to kind of probe you on a few things. I want to sure. kind of like, this is what I love to do with people. I just want to probe. Uh, yeah, but not in, do yeah, probe. yeah. Probing the just brain a, just though to one. specify, <laughs> just so you're safe where you're at. Um, <laughs> okay. So obviously like we, the biggest problem I feel like we have today and I, and I know that you, you platform and you campaign on this is, you know, this idea with the deep state and Trump just the other night was saying, that's the biggest problem. We need the federal executive authority given to the president to be able to fire whoever he wants. Cause until that day comes, all of these individuals in the government are not, uh, you know, that are not acting on behalf of the people, but on behalf of their own interests are going to remain where they are. And so like kind of going down this, this, this rabbit hole here, you know, uh, what's his name? Rupa? What's that? The big fat guy. That's the liberal guy. Ugly guys always has nasty articles. What's his name? Who? You need to be more specific. Describing, like, I think his name's Rupa. People. I know. They're all pretty gross. Oh, oh, as in the, the one who tweets with the glasses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his name? Adam? Aaron? Aaron Rupar? Aaron Rupar. There Aaron? you go. Wait, Aaron? Aaron. 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 Okay, I don't thing. know. No, don't it's care. not. It's You're thing. a horrible accent. It's the same needs thing. to sit outside. Same thing. Go away. Whatever part, watch this. Well, he, he's going out there and he's the one who's blasting this and everyone's saying, you know, this is authoritarianism. This is whatever this is. And, you know, I'd love to start by asking you, like, what do you feel about that? Because, I mean, I, my opinion doesn't matter at this point. I mean, when Trump says something like that, that we need to give that power to the president and he needs to be able to act upon and fire anyone. I mean, where do you stand there? It's very basic. I think that this just shows how few people in America understand civics. I mean, Trump was talking about how everybody who works in the executive branch should work for the president. And that's very basic. And that gives the power to the American people. We elect the president. He gets to pick his cabinet. He gets to pick his appointees. And as long as he's not telling them to do anything illegal and moral against the Constitution, it is their job to actually follow those orders. But what we have, and Anthony Fauci, that's why I say this current moment, as horrible as it is, it's a great teaching moment, when I think some people like Aaron Rupar or whatever get all, um, they hyperventilate about authoritarianism. You say, hey, the out-of-control permanent administrative state is how we get guys like Anthony Fauci, who just, they outlast every single administration. They know all the different loopholes. They're drawing exorbitantly high salaries. They can't be fired. And that, for me, you know, um, guys like Jim Mattis, who was the Secretary of Defense who disobeyed Trump's orders to get us out of Syria, and that had real-life uh, repercussions for me and my late wife and other Americans who were killed in action. And then they go and they brag about it. You have the, the guy that was running the State Department at the time. He said, oh, we lied to Trump all the time about how many troops we had in Syria. Like, this is this is something, haha, that's kind of funny for them. And then you have Fauci who goes and he restarts gain of function underneath our noses. He's trying to cover his tracks right now, but he was doing that, and the president had no ability to actually have oversight of what he was doing because there was no presidential appointees that were looking over his shoulder and saying, hey, is what, you're, what you are doing, administrative servant, does that line up with what the president who was elected by the American people, the mandate the American people gave, does that track of what they want? So it's, it's really basic. I know sometimes people, they get all hyperbolic when you hear deep state. And if you're, if you're on the right, that speaks to you and you're like, yeah, there was a deep state. They went after Flynn. They went after Trump. We can prove it. But if you're on the left, you're like, oh my God, they're being conspiracy theorists, QAnon again. But really there is a massive administrative state that feels like it outlasts whatever administration is in power. And the longer administrations or characters from the administration play in Washington, D.C., the better they know the administrative state. Like the Biden administration, even though most of them are 
pretty much incompetent. They're the gang that can't shoot straight, literally. They've been in D.C. for a very long time. Everything, not everything, but most of the things that went wrong in the Trump administration were because no one, especially the Trump administration, they didn't expect to win in 2016. Mm -hmm. So they came in with a very thin skeleton crew. So they had to bring in all these bad actors from the Bush administration or just these swamp creatures who say they're nonpartisan, but really their allegiance isn't to the country. It's to whatever organization they work for. Like, I don't think Fauci really cares about Democrat or Republican. He'd lie to a Republican just like he'd lie to a Democrat. He just thinks that he literally is the son you know, in his own words. And for every, and Fauci is the one that we know of for every Fauci, for every one one Fauci that we find out there, there's a bunch more of these guys that are just hanging out in Washington, DC, pretty much governing how they want. So I I thought Trump's comments were spot on bringing the administrative state, the deep state, whatever you want to call it to heal is essential for the survival of our Republic. Do you think that's why people were so cross though at Trump when he left office? Because a lot of people, a lot of the criticism is he didn't do enough Mm -hmm. or he didn't fulfill enough of his promises that he made. Um, Do you think it's because he because he did come in with as you call it sort of like a skeleton crew and he did have to fill it with sort of these establishment types which he sort of did because even again Elijah you've made that criticism of him on the show or at least criticism of some of the people with which he surrounds himself that they are these sort of bad faith actors in some ways or at least their allegiance was never to the American people but rather to their own interests and to to countries too I mean we were supposed to we were supposed to praise his foreign policy I mean it's like it's like he brought Trump brought more peace to Israel mm-hmm. and to, you know, moving the embassy and focused on that, where I heard more about foreign policy than even domestic at one point, where I was like, wait a second, nobody elected you. Like, Trump, whatever you think is cool, you're your own person. I, the average American person, maybe besides an evangelical Christian, is not like, I want to move the embassy to Jerusalem. Maybe it was strategic, maybe it really brought peace in the world and brokering the peace deals. People like myself were sitting here going, okay, Israel's cool and all, but like, yo, we never got the full border and like the immigrant crisis is still massive. And also why the hell are you pushing these vaccines on us? Like, I mean, they left us with a lot of questions while they were like, you know, like you said, you brought these people and they're like, yeah, but we accomplished foreign policy. And you're like, yes, but domestically it looks like as Biden got in, they just picked back up where they left off mm. as if Trump was never in office. Yeah. I guess, I guess my question here is, is that why people got so mad at him in the end? Because they blamed him for the people that were around him informing him, because naturally, I mean, Trump's not a politician, he's a business person, and I think that therein lies a massive difference in the way that a politician might act and a business person might act, clearly, because one likes to bankrupt us and the other one probably won't. Um, But yeah, when he left office, people were very critical of him. Uh, Do you think it's because he had to fill his, I suppose, his little community with the deep staters, so to speak? Yeah, I think he was just up against so much. I I don't even think he understood the full scope of what the deep state was. And when President Trump came into office and he ran on, hey, I'm going to bring back our manufacturing, I'm going to seal off our borders, I'm going to end endless wars, that was a direct assault on literally the entire corporate ruling class at once. So he basically kicked off a war that I don't even think he knew the full scope of. I don't think we, the American people, understood the full scope of. Mm. So for him to stand there in the breach and be able to accomplish the little bit that he does, I, I, I think he deserves a ton of credit for. I don't know if he'll ever get full credit for it. I understand people's frustrations, but to me what I say is, hey, we have to get out of this mindset that one guy is going to save us all. I think I'll vote for Trump again. I'd work for him again in a heartbeat. I'd heavily advocate for him running again in 2024. But to think that we can just sit back 
and say that, well, Trump's going to come back in office and then everything's going to be fine. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a lot of people, I think, hoping for that, that Trump was going to win again in 2020. He was going to bring in more good people. I was going to go back and work in a second Trump administration. There was a, a big effort underway to have more people that were ideologically aligned with the America First agenda come back in the second administration. But I think 2020 showed us that the Democrats, the left, the you know, the oligarchy has really out, they, they really know how everything works and they have their tentacles everywhere. And so if we want to take our country back, everybody has to be engaged at every single level. We can't just sit back and wait for one savior to come in and, and do all the work for us. Yeah, it's true. Because I think Trump was that to a lot of folks. And I think that's mm-hmm. why it was so hard for people to detach when they realize that he is a, just a human being. Uh, but they, but he gave a lot of people community though, and I think people forget that he he Absolutely. really brought people together, and he was Absolutely. able to sort of crystallize some ideas that a lot of people sort of had, uh, and make them more of a you know an actual achievable thing. And also, you know what really annoys me too here in Texas, you know, you have Abbott, who I was just reading the other day that we have all these uh, wall pieces sitting down by the border, and you think to yourself, well, all these things are here in place for you that have been lined up. Why didn't you work with this man to get this done? And, I, and perhaps I'm missing something there, but it really bothers me that people around him and, and people who are supposedly supposed to be like-minded didn't actually maybe fulfill their end of the bargain. I want to know, but why do we have pieces of wall that are not being put up? I think they're owned by the federal government, probably, is the, right. the issue. But they're, so not, we probably but don't they're have just any. sitting there collecting dust. Yeah. Do something well, we don't about own, it. But we don't own them. I mean, I, well, I mean, theoretically, the border, I'm sure, is controlled by uh, by the federal government in a way where it's like, I mean, he is trying to do something about this, but I don't know if you've seen the deplorable conditions that our state troopers actually have down by the border. They're not getting the resources it. yeah, that well, they, that they need. They're not getting paid, let yeah. alone even have, have the, the resources they need to get through the day. So, I mean, it's a complicated situation that was made for federal tax bracket budget and that's why it was supposed to be handled by the federal government and the borders were supposed to be protected by the federal government but of course they're not holding up their end of the bargain and you know this is the common commonality yeah, why too doesn't where have te- texas have any autonomy over its border because that is a border yes it's the american border with with mexico but why is there no autonomy there for the state of texas <laughs> I mean, I, th- I, th- I think they do. I mean, I, I think this is something I, I would agree with you that if the governor of Texas just went ahead and did it, I can't see the federal government being able to seriously step in. They could cut off funding. And that's what happened. But Trump, the piece is already there. Yeah. Trump authorized the wall. <laughs> the Republican that the Republicans in the House and the Senate went against Trump. Like mm-hmm. the woman I'm running against, Jamie Herrera Butler, she voted against the wall. So after we paid for it, that's why they're all laying down there. The, the crazy thing is that like they didn't just stop construction. Mm-hmm. The taxpayers, we paid for it. Yeah. And now all that stuff is sitting there in Texas, Arizona. I went down to Yuma with uh, Representative Gosari, gave me a tour, and there is tons and tons of U.S. steel sitting out there collecting dust, illegal immigrants walking around. It's really the most absurd thing I think I've ever seen, just the illegal immigrants walking around the non-constructed wall that we paid for. It's just, you know, so I, I don't see what stops the uh, governors of Texas or Arizona from just going ahead and doing it. I mean, I think that maybe there would be some bureaucrat here or there that would try to stop it, but I think if they went ahead and actually just sort of took the initiative and said, this right. is my this is my state, I'm doing it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't see what would stop them. I mean, yeah. but you did see, though, the best part was the whips, right? With the horse <sighs> slave traders whipping the yeah. whipping the, the brown people that they were all racist against, even mm-hmm. though we were talked about how a lot of the Border Patrol were literally Hispanic and also Spanish-speaking, which would obviously be a great prerequisite for a job at a border with a country where they speak that language. Um, it didn't really matter. We, we've seen this all before. But, like, you know, okay, riddle me this. Because I, I want to know this. So, we, so we, we're so we on the same page. And, I, and I've known you for a little while now. 
Um, I haven't seen you in a while. I think since probably since Florida. Yeah, CPAC. Yeah, yeah. Since, no, I was in or, a CPAC. Or, yeah, yeah, no, CPAC. Maybe at, yeah, maybe Florida. Yeah, tr- the Trump Doral. Yep. That's so right. I haven't seen you in a while, and you know, and you've been a busy guy, and there's been some, some questions on my mind that I've been wanting to ask you, um, because I think as as your campaign has developed, I've been pretty impressed with the traction that it's gotten. But you do know that as the traction increases, so does the opposition, not just from the other parties, but from within, where people oh, yeah. start to bring up criticisms, and. One of the things that I was that I that was coming to my attention that I would love to to explore is that, you know, the biggest problem with the deep state is that there is this this federal bureaucracy of people who have kind of worked in the government, familiar with their government, continuing on what the government wants. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that we have a like a big respect for veterans to be politicians. And the criticism of that is is why do you want someone in office who's used to following orders? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you want someone that just follows orders from the government to run in the government? Because then they're just going to fall in line. And on top of that, the criticism comes out even more. And these are very unpopular with probably the mainstream Republican Party, but they're valid. Is why is it that someone that goes like Joe Kent, who worked for the CIA, like the CIA, like you got to know how that sounds to someone. It's like, sure. oh, Joe Kent worked for the CIA. How does that not preclude somebody to then assume or to believe, you know, how people say, oh, you're a Fed or you're a Glowy or this or that. Like, how does that, how would that not raise alarms? Or what do you say to people who have that genuine concern of your past involvement with literal intelligence, which I believe the CIA is one of the main enemies of the American people and ally at the same time. It's like they fight for us, but they are very corrupt as well. Like, how, what, what is your answer to those critics? Well, it's totally legitimate. I mean, I, I think that those are very legitimate criticisms, especially like the vet. I mean, I'm a veteran. I did 20 years. I honestly probably would have done longer or longer in the agency had things not gone differently in my life. Um, I, I think we need a cast of warriors that will go and fight. We need intelligence. Um, we need the intelligence community to go and, you know, watch the rest of the world to make sure that America stays safe. Um, and so the direction that the military has gone, the direction that the intelligence community has gone, I, I personally am offended by and want to restore it to its roots of protecting the American people. Um, but those are legitimate concerns. I mean, the, especially like the veterans following orders. I think you do see a lot of that. I mean, that's how you're rewarded to a certain extent in the military for being able to follow orders. I mean, I had a little bit different of a career, special operations. You kind of get rewarded from for coloring outside the lines a little bit. You're a Green Beret, right? I think it was a Green Beret. Yeah, I was a warrant officer. So somewhere between enlisted and, and, and officer. But yeah, I mean, I understand people's criticism. So that's why I would say, hey, you, you'd grill me on the issues, see where I stand, see if I'm just going to be one of those guys who follows the orders, gets his talking points from Kevin McCarthy and, <laughs> and Mitch McConnell. I mean, that's that's a legit concern. And as far as the intelligence community stuff goes, I, I tell people very straight up, well, I told you I was in the CIA. I, I could have not. I mean, when you leave the agency, you have the option of not saying you're in the agency and they'll, they'll create something for you. Um, usually something else in the government. Um, but I prefer to be honest with people. I was a paramilitary guy, so I was doing the stuff that you would think that your taxpayer dollars go to actually do and, and you know, conduct counterterrorism type of operations in the, the places that you already know we're, we're at war at. So, um, Can I ask you, though, how, how bad <clears throat> is it? Because like, I, I think there's a disservice. So, so just like when people say, you know, to, you know, to troops, there's, there's these, uh, pillars in our in our culture mm-hmm. that we really have to question right now because you know people say like you know dying for your country is the greatest thing that you can do and and that's possible at in certain wars but then you start to see a war like with Ukraine and you go Am I if I if we fight for that? Am I dying for my country or am I dying for someone else's you know proxy war? What am I really dying for? Right. If just because my country sent me there, am I dying for my nation or am I dying for somebody else's interests? And on top of that, you know, it even goes with the the soldiers. You know, like 
thank you for your service, where it's like, it's really hard with the wars that we're starting to fight, where I've even found soldiers who are trying to delist and they're trying to get out because they don't, they don't even trust the direction of the country. They don't trust the commander in chief. They don't trust where we're headed. And someone like yourself, who's been, you know, served in a different era, right? This was more of like a patriotic area, era, et cetera. And you worked your way up. I would say that I was, you know, years ago was more in the same light. America, you know, I'm straight up the movie. America, fuck yeah, you know, let's go. And, you know, even with your tattoos and everything, I mean, there's this real patriotism and understanding. But it's like, since you've been on the inside, how much of that is really an illusion of people serving this country because they love it and the people in it? And how much of it is really like in the deep state and these people who are, are working on their own their own accord? I mean, is this is the country is an illusion what's happening behind the scenes of what we think or we thought we were fighting for and building? Or is it really too far gone? Because you've been there. I think that the vast majority of people that enlist in the military or are, you know, working at the ground level of the intelligence community, they're patriotic Americans who who believe that they're doing the best thing they can for their country, regardless of like what their political beliefs are. I mean, heavy, heavy conservative leaning, I would say, in the, the combat arms, the guys doing war fighting in the military, infantry, special operations, especially intelligence community, paramilitaries, you know, a little different, leans hard right. The intelligence community recruits heavily out of um, universities, you know, usually pretty, pretty pedigreed universities. Universities. But you have you have really patriotic Americans there too that could be doing you know very different things in the private sector. These aren't guys that had no other option. They're not they're not enlisting for the college money. So you do have very patriotic Americans in those places, and that patriotism is one of the easiest things to exploit. And so you have a lot of folks, I think, that are at the the senior political levels or just the senior levels of these organizations that have been there for too long. They want to ladder climb in Washington, D.C., and they have more allegiance to their their little rice bowl, their organization, than they actually do to the Constitution. And then so many of them, I think, just have some sort of a political goal. And that political goal, if you want to stay in D.C., is basically like your center left. You're not so far left that you're like against wars and, and additional military expansion you you always want more and more, but you want to stay somewhere in that socially acceptable. You can still go to cocktails, so you can't be too far right. But that that I would say neoliberal, uh, former neoconservative, that got a bad name. So now you're more of a neoliberal. You want to spread democracy, um, that that type of ilk. But they're really good at exploiting, you know, um, Americans that want to go do their patriotic duty. And then they have the media working along with them, you know, whether it's a, a great country music song to recruit young kids, or it's like very slick MSNBC talking about how we must go defend democracy out in Ukraine. And so for me, it's a, we need leaders that are actually going to honor that sacrifice and like say no to the military. And a lot of it too is just post 9-11, we did let the military run a ton of our foreign policy, a ton of it. And, and Trump really hit the foreign policy community hard because he came in and said like, I want a strong economy. I'm going to use negotiations. I'm not going to rely on the military for everything. I'm going to I'm going to limit a lot of the military use. And there was definitely a you know nefarious deep state military industrial complex. Like you're taking away from our bottom line. There's definitely a factor there, but there was also just a lot of hurt pride of like, what do you mean we didn't get this right? You can't say that to us. We're the military. How dare you say that to the general's guy who never served? Well, it turns out, and I hate it. It sucks. He was right. Like he he was right. We didn't get anything from the war on terror. And maybe we should try something different. And that's kind of like my bottom line with Ukraine. It's way more complicated than that. But really, have these warmongers been right about anything? You know, has the foreign policy community, the adults in the room, have they been right about anything? Usually what they're saying, it doesn't work. But then when you go back to the patriotism and say, well, you can't question it. Otherwise, you're a Putin stooge or you just hate America. And like, how can you how can you do that? You need to go say thank you to the troops and then send them off to their next war. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm... I was just thinking as you're talking about war and this like 
you know, the, the, you call it the, the military industrial complex. Do you sort of get resentful about the fact that your wife died fighting for it? Does, I, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do. I mean, especially, look, we have to, I mean, the conflict in Syria was complicated. The conflict in Iraq was complicated. We never should have gone into Iraq. There wouldn't have been a Syria. So there's the lies there, you mm -hmm. know, that were years and years before um, with the Bush administration wanting desperately to get us into Iraq, the DOD pushing that because that Afghanistan at the time had largely been a special operations and intelligence show, which that's that's a very small footprint and not a boom for the military, military industrial complex. So this great conventional war gets launched in Iraq. Lots and lies get told, and then ISIS eventually spouts up years later. But by the time my wife deployed to go fight the remnants of the, the Islamic caliphate, mm -hmm. it was so out of control that we honestly had no other choice but to put some boots on the ground. And it was somewhat of a, I would say it was a very smart that they're waging there. So she was proud to deploy. I was proud of her for deploying. I had I had just come off a of deployment as well. Um, and, and Trump was giving us the authorities and the resources we needed to take that out. And then when Trump got, when we got to the point where he took out all the ground that ISIS held, that's when Trump gave the order to get our troops out. And so mm -hmm. for me, that was a commander in chief. He realized he actually had to put Americans in harm's way, but he respected them enough to only do so for a vital national security interest. ISIS was, you know, they'd taken over three countries at that, at that point. No mm -hmm. one else was going to do it. This is where America unfortunately had to step in. And we shouldn't put ourselves in that situation again, but there we were. That was the world he inherited. But he also said what his conditions were. He said, we're going to take out all the ground that ISIS controlled. And when that happened, he didn't come up with a reason for us to extend our occupation. He didn't start building bases. That's what the military industrial complex wanted. Mm -hmm. And the second that Trump said, no, I'm getting them out, that's when the career guys like Jim Mattis, Brett McGurk, all these people that were the stalwarts of the global war on terror, and they never wanted the global war on terror to end, mm -hmm. they publicly resigned. They committed the bureaucratic slow roll. So I, I do, I hold a good deal of resentment against those institutions because, you know, my wife and the three Americans that were killed with her, that's just a drop in the bucket of the the amount of lives that have been absolutely destroyed and lost yeah. and squandered, you know, in the global war on terror. And look at where our country is after 20 years of war in the Middle East. We are where we are right now. I wish I could say, and I say this all the time, I wish I could say as a veteran, as a gold star husband, I wish I could come back like our grandparents did and say, hey, we, we beat Nazi Germany. We freed the free world. Mm. My, my sacrifices were worth something. And unfortunately... I'm, I'm a realistic guy. Like, I can't look back. I can be proud of a couple of little missions and stuff I went on, like neat war stories. But what was it for? What am I going to tell my kids? We have, we have to actually make sure that we never make these mistakes again. And we, we are worthy of the sacrifices and we're worthy of those who are still willing to sacrifice. Do you think other vets feel the same way? It's hard. Um, I, I think some do, but it's hard when you dedicate your entire life to these wars. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, to say, well, yeah, we, we got it wrong. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, yeah. it took me a while to say it myself. And then to not want to break even. I think there's a lot of guys that are they're eager, eager to go off on this Ukraine thing because they were so deeply invested in Iraq. They were so deeply invested in Afghanistan. And the way we left Afghanistan was so painful. Okay, give us Ukraine. We'll get this one right. Do you, you mean, know? when you say that, do you mean go to Ukraine or do you mean they're in support of what's happening in, in, in support and okay. even, even if they have to go, mm -hmm. go fight in Ukraine, consequences, you know, where we are strategically be damned. Right. Like, let's go. Like, I, I want to get this one right. This war will be different. They, it's essentially the gambler's fallacy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you stay at the casino long enough, you'll eventually break even. And right. that's, tragically, it just hasn't worked out yet to this point. I didn't even think about that. The fact that some soldiers might feel that way or some veterans might feel that way. Ah. Of course, why do you? It always strikes me as odd that there's so many vets who suddenly want to run, not like in a bad way, for the government and hate the government at the same time while having a history of fighting for it. Like, and I know that it's not, then you wouldn't want to work as something you hate. It's more like I'm sure you want to see a change because you obviously enter probably into the military quite naive to many things. And over the years, you start asking questions when you start wondering. 
things things develop. And I think what's interesting is though, before I even ask you anything else, so there's a couple other topics. What would you say though to people who aren't familiar with you, like what your main uh, like policy or like platform is? Like what are you what are you fighting for? Like why would somebody in Washington vote for you? Why would somebody in Texas promote your social media? Why would Tucker Carlson put you on TV? Why are you even here? You know what I mean? Like, so what is it about you? What is it that you're bringing to the table? So I'm a guy who never wanted to go into politics. I mean, I explained to you what happened with my, my late wife and then uh, moved back to the Pacific Northwest where I'm from and then watching COVID take away pretty much all of our rights to be able to you know, send our kids to school, run our businesses, freely assemble, and then watching the riots, watching Antifa and BLM just absolutely destroy cities and watch the left you know, ignite that, cheer that on, weaponize that political violence for their own ends. I, I, I felt that we were on the cusp of losing our country. And then the way the election went, you know, watching the mainstream media and big tech kind of move in lockstep to tell us that Biden won this overwhelming victory. And if we questioned it, that we're labeled as terrorists or insurrectionists. And then the woman that I voted for, whose district I lived in, that's a red district, she votes for the impeachment of President Trump. And so for me, it was a, hey, we have to start you know, making real action, real decisive action to take our country back. Otherwise, the political class, they're not going to do it. They're going to continue to do the exact same things. And for me, I was a Trump supporter early on because he was an assault on the permanent ruling class, Republican and Democrat. I mean, the foreign policy angle was huge. It was near and dear to me when Trump went after the Republican foreign policy establishment. I was actually sitting in Iraq watching the, the Republican National Convention. And I was like, how come the apprentice guy gets it more than like all these other so-called like foreign policy experts? Right. Like He's dead on. And then he said, I want to bring back manufacturing. This country's not getting anything out of our trade deals. I want to, you know, I want to put the deplorables, the average Americans back in the room in the deal and want their wages to rise. I mean, that definitely spoke to me, the immigration factor. So really, I want to bring back America first policies so that we can stop putting the rest of the world first, put our nation first and make sure that the hardworking people of our working class and our middle class, they have a chance at the American dream. Because right now that is being snuffed out by this corporate oligarchy that primarily is on the left, but some of it's on the right as well, too. And so I think it's just time for us. I don't think the current fight is left versus right, Republican versus Democrat. I really do think it's we the people versus this corporate ruling class. Yeah. You know, and I just I do want to know this. So like... The fact that I know you, I have to put that aside because in the end, you're a politician. And I, I know you might not be like, you know, you're, right. not, you're, not, you're not a politician. No one's actually a politician, but everyone is. But everybody is. But I, so it's like, and so I want to know these things. Okay. So one thing that I want to understand is, is I've seen the way that every single congressional district matters, meaning like people go, it doesn't really matter. Not my state. It's like, dude, well, that person can move to your state. And those companies sometimes in your state have offices in that state, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They can become politicians and they can get to Congress and vote that affects your state. So yeah. all the union affects one another. And one of the things that I started doing to the Trump administration where I would find out where people were getting funding from. That was big right now with the launch of Getter. When it was immediately when you're finding out where the money's coming from, you're going, oh, this is kind of bizarre. And there's a lot of talk about where you're where you're getting money from on both sides of the aisle. On the left, it's like, oh, Peter Thiel and these people. I laughed actually, uh, Sydney, they're like, they give copious amounts of money to his campaign, $5,800. I'm like, that's a tank of gas and a churro <laughs> in 2022, okay? Not a lot of that money. That's half a shopping cart. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not that familiar, actually, with 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 you know the, the intricacies of not only PAC money but independent money, et cetera, because yeah. it can get very complicated intentionally too. Where every time you think you it's understand it, it's like you there's another law that they can find a loophole, a new foundation that they can break apart, et cetera. Is like there has been some criticism on the left from the left 
that you're just getting propped up by these major donors and players that are basically like you're just going to be another rhino, you're another Republican. And I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a you know an attack or whatnot. So I want to give you a second to address it. Sure. And then there's an attack on the right wing too with funding, right? Because they're saying, oh, Teal and these people that try to control people puppets just becoming another hand of the GOP. Then on the right side, which I don't even know if this is true, so I you can clear clear this up with me. They're saying, oh, you know, he's taking money from like from Bracewell. I think it's Bracewell LLP, an international law firm that's big on the the uh, international visas for workers and replacing workers big on on you know that kind of work trade immigration so people are talking about this so this one like i got you in the room yeah fuck what everybody else is saying i just kind of want to hear this how are you raising money what what is that the forefront and how are you preventing yourself from taking money from not only like left-wing groups that like to infiltrate and get and get you know uh like maybe you can call them neoliberal not even left but just neoliberal mm -hmm. non-america first groups and or how are you are you preventing the PAC money, the big DC money, from corrupting you before you even get elected? So people can look at my FEC reports. <laughs> That's the easiest right. way they can check my math on everything I'm about to say. So I'm only getting money from individual donors. So Teal he maxed out to the campaign like anybody else can. So like uh, Americans can give. Uh, $5,800. That's the max contribution. If I don't win the primary, I have to give him back 2,900 of that. So I can only spend 2,900 of that in the primary right now. So if I lose the, if I lose the primary, I have to give him and everybody else is giving me 5,800 bucks there. I didn't know this. You They're, only lost 50% in the primary. <clears throat> well, I can keep, um, if people give me $5,800, oh. it's only half of that. So you can uh, make a $2,900 contribution in the general and in the primary. So, but uh, if I lose, I got to give that money back. Okay. Yeah. So that's how individuals are capped at. So I'm only taking money right now from individuals. I've taken, um, so PAC to Save America, Trump's PAC gave me $5,000. The Madison Project gave me $5,000. David Bossie's, uh, that, his PAC, I think it's um, Citizens United, gave me $5,000. So those aren't corporate PACs. Those are just regular political PACs. That's all in my FEC report. Uh, everything else has come from individual donors. Last time we did our math, it was like the average the average uh, donation was like $53. So is that a rumor though, the, the Bracewell LLP law, international law group donating? Is that, is that Did that happen or did that not happen? I'm going to pull it up on my FEC report. I don't think so. I think I would have noticed uh, a law firm. So co companies can give individual candidates like up to $5,000, I believe. Yeah, because it, it does, and I'm not, this is not even to you in particular, because this is not, um, this show's more like a chat around like a living room, like I'm more just mm -hmm. like, because I like you, and I really do, and I really want to see you be successful, and I, I'm not afraid to admit that, genuinely, like, we don't have a lot of people in the country that potentially could bring some hope or restitution, and people get really hell-bent on these little, like, idiosyncrasies that they disagree with people on, not realizing that when you go against a certain candidate, Ask yourself then who is going in their place, mm -hmm. which is a really, which is a really sloppy way to approach politics. But it, you know, this is true though. It's like this has this is what this is what happened with Biden and Trump. Everyone was the same way. It was like, well, like I know people that voted for Biden. It was like, well, at least he's not mean. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that, that'll, that'll <laughs> do it. That's but great. I, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I'm saying we just got out of an election that was like a look from one shitty person to another. Not not in my opinion, but the public had been brought to believe it was like no one could be worse than Trump. So they elected Biden, or at least they say they did. Um, and then we are here and that's the, the title of the show. So it's like with you, it's like, what kind of guarantee or like an ability do you have? It's kind of like that you're not, like I said, like, like that you're not 
bought out or that you're not getting influenced by these groups because I genuinely am so so sick of getting sold out yeah. in the GOP. Yep. I'm I'm so tired and that's what I told people I'm like even with Getter or different companies that I've come at I'm like I'm not against your company. I love right wing you know businesses and mm-hmm. and companies to be successful. I want politicians to win, but I'm so tired of getting fucked over and then just buying the next grifter yep. who's out there who's telling me, "Yeah, you know, we're you know, we're Carhartt. We're a company and we're really into this black rifle. We love the vets and the troops. We're big on guns, but we can't, you know, get near Kyle Rittenhouse when we really would need maybe some donations, some funding, some PR. We can't get near that because that could hurt profits. And you realize they just sold out for money. They don't care about the values. The values were a grift. And so it's like with you, it's like, I don't have any reason to believe that, but it's like, what besides the the service and stuff, I mean, what guarantee do you have to people like if elected, what are you going to do to fight against that current that is so strong. I mean, that the foreign lobbies. I mean, you right now you've got. I don't even know if it's Ukraine lobby. We've got Saudi Arabia lobby. We've talked about this. You have Israel lobby. You have uh, you have you have China. Qatar. Yeah, <clears throat> I've yeah been at them. Qatar. Um, and then you also have our allies with their lobbies, Canada sure. and Australia and everybody else, trying to push us all around. Like, how are you different? How are you yeah. going to reject that? I think the easiest way is to just say that you're not going to take any corporate back money. And I'm not going to take any corporate back money because I, I, I don't like the idea of me having to go and have these meetings, these different packs, and they say this is their pet issue and this is how they want to vote. And the thing is, especially of Congress, you, they run every two years. So if I win in November, I, I'm basically a candidate once again, and I go right back to saying like, hey, guys, I need some money. And so the easy button is you stay in D.C., and these corporate PACs come to you and they say that, hey, we're basically just going to fill up your coffers. Like, I've been out fundraising my opponent, the 12-year incumbent. I've been out fundraising her the last couple of quarters on individual donations. But she's still a good deal ahead of me. I mean, she started out ahead, but also she just gets a ton of corporate PAC money. And that's what we can see. That's not even the super PAC money that we you really can't see. Mm. So I'm, I'm avoiding all the corporate PAC money right now and running on individual contributions. So I want to stay on a... You know, a kind of a schedule when I get into Congress of coming back to the district, doing in-person town halls so I can interact with people. But then also, I mean, the media has been good to me. I'm on your show. I've been on Tucker a couple times, um, Steve Bannon's War Room and all that. So I've made a lot of money from people throughout the country that send me 5, 10, 15 bucks. That really helps. And the cool thing is that does help me say no to corporate PAC money. Because if I wasn't getting the individual contributions and the media hadn't been so uh, successful and lucrative for me, mm-hmm. then if I wanted to stay in the fight, I would be in this position where it's like, well, I can just get completely you know, steamrolled and, and be a nobody or I take the money. And I think that's a, lot, a position that a lot of people get into. And so I think the Trump did this really well because the GOP wasn't supporting him. The GOP is not supporting me. They're actively working, working with the uh, incumbent right now. Um, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene's another one. I mean, when she got kicked off all of her committees, she was supposed to go like into a corner and never be heard from again. But she became this fundraising behemoth because she's there fighting for the people. But then also she gets a ton of individual contributions and that's freed her up to continue to do what the American people wanted her to do. So mm. it's a, it's a two part thing for me. I'm going to not take the corporate PAC money cause I, I don't, that makes isn't, me feel very slimy. But I, but I've been, I watched like. You not taking that has pitched at a financial disadvantage in some ways, it I has. imagine. Because yeah. I've seen the incumbent. It has. I've seen, it's, she, I've seen what they're raising. Yeah. And it is more than what you're raising. So, I mean, it's there more, is a yeah. sacrifice. If you're not going to take the it money, is. I mean, $10, $15 from everybody is amazing. It is. But it doesn't yeah. meet the billionaires and millionaires that are of the global regime. Yeah. So, I, I know I'm going to be outspent and outraised. I don't need all the money. I just need enough to stay in the game. And so, that's kind of the way that we're we're approaching it right now. Um, it's way easier just to take the corporate PAC money because I'm a primary and incumbent. I do have a little bit of an advantage is a lot of corporate PACs don't want to touch me. So I, I haven't had a ton of offers beaten down the door. Um, why, why not? Just cause you're against them or is it you're an outsider? Yeah. It's, it's a bad forum to 
primary and incumbent. So a lot of the traditional GOP donors, number one, most of them don't like America first. They, they like, I think they smile and nod at the whole Trump thing because they know Trump is popular mm. with the base, but they don't like Trump's policies because they're, they reject the corporate ruling class. And so, um, but it's bad form to go against a, an incumbent. It'd be different if I was going against an open seat against a Democrat. And then especially after, if I won the Republican nomination, then I think there'll be more, more of these corporate PACs will be like, hey, buddy, we can, you know, we can inject thousands or maybe even more into a super PAC on your behalf. Um, I don't I don't want anything to do with that. The couple interviews I've done with, you know, different groups that just kind of felt slimy and not a, not a place I wanted to be. I think it's much it's much more of an honest thing as, as slimy as politics are to go in front of people and say, like, hey, guys, if you all give me 20 bucks and I, I hate saying that. But if you guys all give me 20 bucks, then, you know, then I can then I'm accountable to you and not to some special interest group. It's so yucky, actually, when you describe the fact that big donors in the right wing on the right wing wouldn't contribute to somebody who actually is patriotic because they don't like the fact that they won't hold up the corporatism, I mm -hmm. guess, that runs the country. That's so, yeah. that's really distressing to hear because those are the people who have tremendous yeah. influence over who gets elected. Oh, this is why we're so screwed. Genuinely, <laughs> this, is, this is the outside <laughs> interest coming in. I do want to, let's actually talk about this because oh, I'm not going to do myself any service bringing this up, but curiosity not only killed the cat, it made Elijah's career I literally just, I get so curious about these things. So a few of the the, the politicians in play that I really love and I really uh, align with, besides some of the members of the Freedom Caucus, obviously to the average viewer, they don't know a lot of members of Congress, but people probably, if you're like 10% involved, have heard Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene, mm -hmm. right? Both individuals who are, you know, clearly they use the phrase America first, which you use too, which we all do. Trump uses. Um so I was I was reading an article, and I mean these articles are bullshit. So I don't really like the wording in these articles about you or anybody involved in it. Uh, but I do want to. I'm going to read what it says because um, you brought up Marjorie, right? And I think Marjorie. I don't know where you stand with her. So where are we going to go with this? I, I've had her on my show too. I've had you know all these these people on. I'm having having Gosar on, um, and. You know, I tend to find myself not to be too too extreme of a person either. Like, I want to win elections. I want to get things forward. And with elections, there becomes controversy. You get endorsements you don't want. You get endorsements you want and you don't get. You get you have to align with people that you don't like, but you need to just somehow work together because you kind of have the same goal, even if they're shitty people. You have to figure out how to make something happen. And uh, one of the the director of um, of what is it, of, of media and and uh, content here, was kind of reminding me of something that happened on the internet. And they sent me this article from OPB, which I guess is Oregon? Oregon Public Broadcasting. Okay, so it's yeah. state-funded media, yeah, I'm assuming? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so it says, Congressional candidate Joe Kent distances himself from white nationalists amid media spat. Um, and it goes on to say, this is from Troy uh, Brennelson. And again, it says things about you, about everybody. I'm just reading the article, guys. It says, White Nationalist Nick Fuentes said he and Republican Joe Kent, who was trying to unseat Representative Jamie Herrera Butler, discussed working together last year. Kent called the phone call a non-issue. And while this, you know, you do call it a non-issue, I don't think this is an issue. Um, there is an interesting thing. I think this comes from a tweet. I think we have it, a tweet that you put up, which I haven't seen this very often. Like, I've seen people talking about endorsements, but I have seen even Trump refuse some people's uh, endorsements. It says, my opponents are again spreading lies about me. I strongly condemn Nick Fuentes' politics, especially in regards to our ally Israel. I ignored his invitation to speak at his recent conference in Orlando, and I am not aware, or nor do I accept any endorsement from him. And with not making this a bigger issue than it is, why I'm bringing this up is because 
Marjorie Taylor Greene and Gosar have spoken at at his conferences, at Fuentes' conferences. And I don't even know if you like them. I don't know if you guys are allies and what's going on. That's why I just want to find out. You've taken a completely different stance. You've, you didn't condemn anyone. In, I mean, you said I strongly condemn his politics. It doesn't look like you condemned him as a person. What happened here? And where are you different than in terms of your approach to this from Marjorie Taylor Greene and Gosar? Well, you know, I'm not sure what Gosar and MTG, what they're... They, were spe- they spoke at this conference. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just wondering. You I'm just saying like... Them. Yeah, I yeah, know, but I'm saying like, but where are you different then? Because obviously they spoke there, but I think they also condemned some of the things he said. Yeah. So I just want to know like where where you're different or how, you know, be- not better or worse, but just where do you veer sure. kind of differently or what made you take a different approach to this sect, uh, like the Groyper sect that seems to be emerging faster than people can really understand. They're, Generation Z mostly, younger people, some older people... I'm sure they've probably harassed you at your events or something. Yeah, I'm sure they have. Um, but I but I am saying, yeah, where did this come from? And how did this get into the news? And why did it end up in my in my way out here, right? So like, what is this? Yeah. So I had never heard of Nick Fuentes until recently, I think at that um, that parallel conference he did with CPAC. And I heard some of his comments there that I thought were, you know, kind of gross, anti-Semitic. He's talking about Hitler, not a bad guy, leading a Putin-Putin chant, um, stuff like that. Uh, and I had... Like I said, I spoke with him about a year ago. I kind of thought he was a consultant type because um, at the time when I announced, I got kind of bombarded by a bunch of different consultants, people offering to do things, social media, all that type of thing. Um, and that was it. We had one phone conversation. I saw like six months later that he got put on like the no-fly list, kicked off Twitter, all that, which I think is nonsense. Like even if I disagree with someone's views, they shouldn't be kicked off of Twitter. They sh- certainly shouldn't be put on a no-fly list. That's just absurd. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to, I think about just a couple weeks ago, um, one of my Republican opponents, uh, she released a video saying that I was aligned with this white nationalist, Nick Fuentes, who had endorsed me. And I did not know that he endorsed me. I had never watched the guy's show before. And so after seeing that he endorsed me and then seeing his comments there at the, the, um, I think it's America first pack, F-Pack yeah, or whatever. I think it's what, <clears throat> pack three, something like that. Something. Yeah, I think it's the third one. I don't know. I don't care. Oh, well, I, was, I wasn't there. I'm, I'm just trying to get it right because it, yeah. it says so, in the article. It's in the so, article if you want to read it. Yeah, so seeing that and especially the anti-Semitic stuff, I just that's something I wanted to distance myself from before anybody thought that I was affiliated with that. Um, I'm a big fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar. I think they're great reps that represent their districts very, very well and the American people. Uh, and they got so. shit. They, actually, that's what I'm going to say. This is what I actually want to talk to you about is um, – what is the, I haven't been tracking, but there's been pretty bad fallout for Marjorie Taylor Greene speaking at that conference because of the comments that came out. Like I've seen a lot of Republicans kind of condemning her, which is nothing new because if she's not getting condemned on a Tuesday, then by Wednesday she'll be, she'll, they'll right. follow back up and condemn her for the day before for yeah. something. Because um, it's just fun to condemn Marjorie Taylor for like, you know, being herself. Uh, but it's like, yeah, she got, do you know what happened? She got con- I I don't know. Did anything official end up happening? I mean, she's already been censured and I everything. No, so well, I don't know what they could do to her at this point. Right. <laughs> I was like, what can you like do you to Marjorie? Said, like, the, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think she, I, I believe she said that she wanted to go talk to a bunch of young people, which makes sense to me. Um, I've had a lot of these folks show up to my events and sometimes there, there's some heckling going on because mm-hmm. they, they, they're mad that I um, distanced myself from Fuentes. Um, but they are a lot of young people and I try and talk to them and some of them come and they have respectful conversations. Um, so that's an opportunity, I think, to, to get people away from some of the, the hatred and the more, you know, vile ideology and then bring them over to, to our side. But that was, you know, I, I just heard what Nick said, um, at that, that AFPAC and wanted to distance myself from him. 
that was the that was it. I mean, the guy was saying, if you're saying anti-Semitic stuff, if you're saying racist stuff, I'm gonna distance myself. Well, you know, you know yeah, and, f- yeah. And, fair, and fair for you to do whatever you want. I do, but I do have the one question I do have from this, and that's why, like, I mean, I understand everyone's got their own opinions. Believe it or not, people, there's so many people that I don't think would associate with each other, and then people that do associate with each other. It's very confusing to me, and it's like it works like that in the Republican Party. I mean, I'm blacklisted from tons of things just because people, you know, it's like petty, petty bullshit, like mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Oh yeah, but. One of the, the the last thing on the on the let's grill Joe Kent hour. No, but we have some other things we're going to talk to. I did want to get this off my chest though because I wanted to like clarify these things. One of the things that did was was interesting was um, specifically protectionists saw this this tweet. Not even people associated with Fuentes or anything, and talked about one of the issues that I think we keep seeing is this issue like we talked about earlier with foreign money and foreign Mm -hmm. interest and the idea that America first has been co-opted, you know, beyond just the movement that Trump ran on that that we've seen, you know, from Buchanan to our founding fathers, this idea of fighting for our nation, of putting our interests above ourselves, that there is somewhat of an interesting option where we're always caring about other countries. Like in this tweet, you said in regards to our ally Israel, we have this problem with Ukraine we're seeing right now, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a different country. You talk about Israel, you're automatically an anti-Semite. I know this. I know this, media. I know this. I know this. Anytime I talk about Israel, you guys call me a bad guy, but hey, I kind of, I kind of not the great guy anyways. But what I mean is with Israel, with Ukraine, with everything, you have all these countries that we're supposed to care about, right? I mean, yeah. like genuinely. And then there's countries we really do care about, like Australia, that our government pretends like is not happening, or like in Canada, this protest happened. Yeah. Like that's on our, border. on our border. We give a shit. Even Mexico, it's like what? But to shut it down, like we care about this Matters. border and yeah. that. But we're always talking about these like foreign countries. When you say America first. And you care about this country. How? F- what does that mean to you and your allegiance to this country versus what we're seeing now where our, our president is telling us today that being patriotic and loyal to America is spending more on gas and caring about Ukraine? That's the message I'm getting yeah, today. No, and when I see tweets like this, it, you know, there's no problem. Israel is, you know, all these countries are allied with us militarily and they are mm-hmm. around there. And just to hate Jewish people is anti-Semitic. It's not cool. And it's it's ridiculous. And some people hyper upset obsess so much on how Israel meddles in American politics without realizing how many other of our allies meddle in our politics so drastically and also are dishonest to us in some ways. There's many superpowers. But kind of, yeah, with that, so what does it mean? What does that, how, how are you America first and how are you not just another Republican that is going to tell me to send my son to fight in a war I don't give a shit about? Yeah, I'm, I'm an American nationalist. I mean, I, I think we need to put our country first above all others. That doesn't mean we don't have allies. We have allies, of course. In the Middle East, it doesn't get much better than, than Israel. Um, I, I put Israel in there just because there was so much anti-Semitism in his recent, in his recent rhetoric that I saw. Um, especially the stuff about like, well, maybe Hitler wasn't a bad guy. I, I don't think I'm directly quoting. I think he said something to the effect of like, they're comparing Putin to Hitler and Hitler wasn't a bad guy. Like, so I, I felt the need to specifically say, you know, Israel in that tweet, just because there was so much anti-Semitism coming out of there. But uh, America first, America first isn't America alone. We have allies. But as far as, you know, de- you know using military force or sending people off to off to go into harm's way and potentially die, I mean, we have to be able to state what the vital national security interest is. And I don't think that Ukraine passes that test right now. Um, so for me, that's something that I will always do. I mean, I, I will vote on more powers um, where appropriate, but I would never send us, you know, send our troops out into harm's way without a vital national security interest that my constituents are on board with. That's the reason why Congress has those war power, uh, th- those war power authorities. Um, How do they feel, by the way? Because like, I'm, I am interested is as somebody who actually has to care about what people think. Like I don't care what people think. I'm telling people what I think. Yeah. And I'm just like, hey, this is how I'm viewing the world based on what I'm seeing. And I don't give a shit if you agree with me or disagree with me on that. And like I th- I think it's actually quite refreshing 
the fact that you have answers for these things because some people do not have answers. I don't know if you saw the uh, Getter CEO's interview on Tim Pool. Yeah, that was uh, a really, really, really Very harsh. But then the Gap CEO was super cool, and he was Andrew Torba like was like they grilled him too, and then he was like he just had answers, and I really liked the fact that he had answers, and and so like with that with the war that's going on, since we're talking about these never ending mm-hmm. wars, are the American people not in my circle, but your circle, just seeing that the general everyday American that is going to vote for you. Are they buying the propaganda with the Ukraine war? Are, are they are they buying what we're being told? Or do they see the truth of what's going on? That things I'm, I'm not going to make you any trap here, but just things are much more complicated than our media would like it to believe than it's just some victimless, some victim government that's getting picked on by a big mean guy. Like it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think the propaganda machine, especially because there's a, a unity in the propaganda machine, like we had a, we've had a, a hard partisan fight since Trump came on the scene. And so I think people were somewhat, in a very primitive way, refreshed to see that there was unity. You have Republicans saying that we need to go stand if Ukraine, and you have Democrats saying that. And so I think some people have been somewhat tricked by that because there wasn't this conflict automatically. And I've I've gotten some pushback in the district, I'm not going to lie, when I say, hey, you know, when I go on Tucker and I say this is not in our vital national security interest where we could potentially be being played here, there's more at stake. Yes, Putin's bad for what he's doing right now, but it's not without reason. You know, NATO encroachment on his borders, the fact that we ran a color revolution there, all that type of stuff. There's some initial pushback, but once you talk to people and you have a reasonable conversation with them and you say, look, we we have to learn from our past mistakes. There is a broader historical context. There is a broader strategic context, too, of what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to this country every single day. And there's a risk of World War III. There's a risk of, you know, Russia moving closer to China and then China challenging our status as a prime reserve currency holder. I think that gets people's gears turning. But I, I do think it's sad to see the, the propaganda machine moving. It's great that there's so many more alternative media outlets right now and independent journalists. And as horrible as social media is for everything on the social side, we are getting, I think, more information than we did, like, in the lead up to the Iraq war. You know, it, it's, it's, it's eerie to see right now how in unison the media is compared to the way that we were in the Iraq war. And it appears like we've learned nothing because you have the exact, some of the exact same Warhawks are just like older now, yeah. <laughs> you know, like old, Condoleezza older, Rice older, is on the media gra- again. Exactly. She's about invading. Yeah. Insanity, you know? And, and, and so she agreed to on the internet. Like this is like, cause I, I hate, I don't even say on TV anymore. Cause most of the TV yeah, is consumed on TV the internet clip, anyways, yeah. but it's like on the internet, She's nodding her head yes, and they're like, isn't it wrong for a bigger nation to invade a sovereign nation without UN Security Council clearance and just violate their sovereignty? And she's like, after 2010, that became, wait, no, wait, after. Now it's wrong. It's like now it's, it's like, wrong, right. like Libya. Just keep going. You're like okay, no, it became wrong yesterday, and it's just so it is crazy to me that we are back in the place. And this is what I mean. And and kind of getting out of the the rabbit hole of like some of the more minute things that I wanted to clear up. This shit is crazy. And how does your the incumbent feel about this? I mean, what has been her stance? I mean, that's that's what I that's what I, that's why someone would vote for you. What's her stance? How are you guys she, different? She's going to do whatever the party says. I mean, she gets her marching orders from the party from the the corporate lobbyists. I mean, so she was out there. She doesn't have she doesn't have any experience of foreign policy. She has voted for every single iteration of the wars as long as she's been in office. She went out there and she posed. Um, with the Ukrainian flag transposed on the American flag to stand for Ukraine. She voted for the $14 billion omnibus because there was some pork in there for the district, but she, she doesn't see the correlation of us sending 14 billion more dollars to Ukraine or whatever it is, $13.6 billion to Ukraine, how that could be an escalation, especially because it's got lethal aid, it's got weapons. 
it's got arms, all that type of stuff. So she's not, and I, her, and she's not alone. She's she's in the vast majority of Republicans and Democrats right now who are just authorizing this money to go over, and they're letting against the against the Constitution, they're letting the president continue to push us for war. I think every single representative right now should be back in their district, laying it out for the American people. Hey, this is what's at stake right now. Are you willing? If we continue to escalate. Are you willing to send our military, your sons and daughters, off to go fight and die? If so, and that's how you want me to vote, okay, I'll go vote that way. If we continue to send them aid, these are the couple different directions it could go. China's in an economic war with us right now. Are we going to focus on that and strike back against that economically, or are we going to keep pushing the Russians? We're not having any of that dialogue, and the founders gave Congress the ability to vote on wars for this exact reason, so that one person sitting in the White House couldn't push us closer and closer towards war. So she's just going along with it, and I think it's disgusting. And she's not alone. She's in the vast majority. But is that because she's got no skin in the game? I yeah. mean, you've been to war. Right. You've seen what happens. You've lost people that you care about. Yeah. Uh, and I'm assuming that if you were in the Special Forces, you probably did some kind of badass, also kind of some scary stuff. Because, yeah, uh, yeah I, I know that that's sort of... Much, my understanding is much of what goes on in the special forces is the stuff you just don't ever hear about, and it's the more hardcore type of type of thing. So you've probably seen some things. Do you think that part of the reason why they vote this way or why their I don't know their preoccupation with going to war is simply because they have no skin in the game? They I, just don't know what it's like. I do. Yeah, I, I think our all volunteer force that we've had since post Vietnam is an amazing thing. It's a very professional military, and that's a good thing as far as military capability goes. But it's been extremely dangerous for how easy it is for us to send people off to go fight and die because there there are very few elected representatives that directly feel that back home. None of them, very few of them have actually served themselves, mm -hmm. but then they don't have to go back to their constituents and they're not sending them off the war. Whereas every other war that we previously fought, there was a draft. Every single representative was getting their feet held to the fire by their constituents. And the second the American people got sick of sending their sons, their sons in most cases, off to go die, mm. the war has ended. But if you want to know how why the global war on terror went on for so long and is still ongoing, it's that reason right there. Because they can just go, the, the, the representatives can go and they can take their money from Lockheed, Boeing, and all the other little... Uh, special interest groups that will cut them checks mm. and they can go on about their merry way. And they know that not many people in the district are going to hold them accountable for that. And that was all, I, I, you know, I mean, there was major consequences for me, my friends, my family, but most Americans didn't feel the war on terror. This war with Russia will not be that way. Every single American will feel it. And if we keep pushing Russia and we don't go into a kinetic war, and the Chinese are able to bring Russia into their sphere of financial influence. So what we're doing with SWIFT and sanctions and all that, every American's going to feel that too. Because when China challenges our status as a reserve currency holder and they stop buying our debt bonds, that is a financial pearl harbor. They will crash our economy. And we're not focusing on that right now because we're distracted by the war porn coming from MSNBC. And and they, if, you're, if you're not against Putin right now, then you're some sort of a traitor. That whole rhetoric is just a huge smokescreen for everything that's going on right so now. So you're saying that things are nuanced. I'm saying things are nuanced, right. <laughs> Who would have yeah. thought? That's so crazy, Joe. Yeah. No way. It's definitely a hot take, right? Damn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, things aren't black and white. You know what occurs to me, though, as you're speaking about China, uh, and I was thinking about this the other day, I love how in this quest for independence as America, we place so much emphasis on, uh, you know, China being not necessarily, well, China's not an ally to the United States. Right. But weirdly enough, they control a lot of what we do, especially when it comes to manufacturing and whatnot. So I think it's, and I would be interested in your take on this, isn't it funny how we've sent everything abroad and then we've decided, you know, categorically that this country is sort of, you know, someone that, that we're at odds with and yet they control so much of what we do. How do you wrangle that back? 
it's going to be a huge project. And I, and I think the first thing that we're going to have to realize is we're, we're going to have to go after a lot of our elites. I mean, if you look at how Trump was fought tooth and nail mm-hmm. about bringing back, it sounds great, bring back manufacturers. Who would be against that, right? We want Americans to have decent paying jobs. Well, the corporate ruling class, BlackRock, Vanguard, these massive hedge funds that are taking our pension funds, investing them overseas when they're not buying up housing, so we can't buy housing. They're the ones that are deeply invested in this. And the guys that run the manufacturing companies, they would much rather pay Chinese slaves because that doesn't cost as much money. Or they'd rather ship the manufacturing to Mexico and pay people Mm -hmm. $3 an hour than pay Americans. So we have to realize that it's it's not going to be as hard as just bringing back our manufacturing. That's going to be physically challenging, but we can do it. We're going to have to go after a lot of our elites, and our elites have a lot of money. They have deep tentacles, everything we talked about, into our elected officials, into the very backbone of our economy. And so I, I, I think that that right there is going to be a, the next fight for our generation is, is bringing back our industrial base and putting our country first. It's going to be an economic uh, revolution of sorts. It's also going to be a cultural one because we're going to have to get Americans back to doing you know, hard jobs um, mm-hmm. and not just taking a stimulus check and going and getting uh, you know, trained up in the trades. And I think we're up for it. I think there's a lot, of, a lot of Republicans, especially who are like the super immigration fans. Legal immigration is what they always say. Mm-hmm. Like Americans can't do STEM, so we're going to bring over all these kids and staple H-1B visas to the back of their engineering degrees because Americans can't do that. Or we need to import a ton of low-skilled labor from Mexico and other places because Americans just won't do that. It's really selling the American youth and the American people short. Like they're either, they're either too dumb or they're too lazy is what we're telling them. And so I think we have to have, we have to make this our national project. And it's great because other national projects we've had to go and we've had to fight and bleed. And for this one, we can really just focus on our nation, which I think is a beautiful thing if we can get it right. I was going to say, I'm about to get him in trouble with this question, okay. but, but I, because I get in trouble asking a lot of, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things, Joe, in this industry and in, <clears throat> in politics and stuff. A lot of things people see and that they're right and that they know that's really going on. And it's not like, it's like when we said the deep state it's a very vague word that means a myriad of things yeah. i mean you can define that as bureaucrats that are in office acting outside of you know an elected uh, populace's desires but it's much more complicated and things are you know if trump could have figured it out like you said he would have uh but we never thought about the skeleton crew problem of him coming in i remember like three years into his thing i was talking talk to people in the administration and i'm like i was like hey i'm trying to get someone here like we haven't hired anyone to do that like, in three years huh nope no one will take the job. So I know they didn't have anybody working there <laughs> genuinely in his administration. What a crazy time to be alive. But one of the things that pisses me off about the GOP, which is why like, I only registered as a Republican to vote in the primary for Donald Trump in California. That was it. Like I was like I was staying independent, not because I'm this, you know, I I was honestly leaned right. I was center right. Yeah. And I was getting more into politics. And like this is where people don't understand that watch these shows that are like, they get so bent up in their head about everything they know. Remember, there was a time where I knew a lot about politics, but I was studying to become, you know, a, a biologist, you know, like a, a professor, a, you know, work in that that field. So when you're in that mode, you do follow politics, but it's not your life. You don't yeah. eat and breathe it, right? And then you wake up one day, and so you're like, you're center right. Most people are like center left or center right. They're just kind of like they have friends all across the aisle, and they're just, you know, we talk about they talk about sports games and movies and shit like that that I can't talk about anymore. Um, one of the things that got me interested in politics, it woke me up in 2008, um, was this idea that I started seeing the indoctrination in schools while I was in school, in high school, um, of this like anti, not just family, but specifically anti-white narrative, right? Where there was this, this genuine attack on the native European populace of this country, Eurocentric 
population where, and I was in LA, so this is where the hotbed where this started, where I would, we'd have these like these weird exercises where you would, you know, go into a corner of the room if you felt like you were oppressed and this stuff was brand new, breaking out into our classes. And I remember thinking like to the, to the people, like, you know, fuck all you guys in here. Like, all your teachers are mostly white in here. And you're over here, like, complaining about white people, this and that. This city is Mexican. We're living in Mexico. This is literally, like, there's, you're not a minority here. I'm sorry. I'm the minority, okay? You're not. And I, and I sort of woke up into this war, which is which is genuinely real, that it's not just men. Specifically, there's a war on men. There's a war on families. And there's a war on white male, straight men specifically, and attacking the family. And it seems like the GOP completely ignores this because they don't want like to seem like white nationalist or like racist when it's like to me, if you see somebody getting attacked, like if she's getting attacked for, you know, someone's beating her up and like, fuck you, dumb woman, which could happen seriously in life. You never know. Yeah. It's like, you know, me, me fighting for her in that moment, you know, to protect her from being, you know, attacked for, you know, this, I guess you might call it a hate crime or being attacked in this moment does not mean that I don't have honest criticisms of like, women and I don't you know that there's some women I don't get along with etc but in that moment I'm seeing where the attack is mm-hmm. and I've got to fight for this this also doesn't make me a female supremacist a feminist to fight for somebody oh, who's getting feminist, beaten Elijah. up Come on, yeah I, I am on your back. I'm a very big <laughs> feminist I ought to say that before Wednesday's d- episode of Slightly Offensive comes out feminist all the women hating yes. <laughs> never it's and and you hate people. I am who such do a that. feminist. I let Jack Murphy cuss you out because you're a strong woman. You don't need no man to defend you. Yeah, exactly. No, but I, when is the GOP going to wake up to the fact that there's a real racial war going on where they're trying to demonize people, like a real racist undertone and structure in our country that is demonizing specifically young straight white men and men also in general and straight people like this there's an actual war going on and yeah well and And christians Christians in that that is like it's not about minorities no one's demonizing publicly and businesses minorities or women in fact our entire country is geared towards helping women and minorities get ahead well nobody's falling further behind than young white men like when is are you going to be a part of that do you see the gop changing because that's what matters to me the most genuinely and that's what i know matters to a lot of people i don't know if you know this but washington is pretty white it's it's pretty white state there is not a lot of mexicans in washington every time you say washington, washington i think you're saying washington dc and i think nope. no that's just full of evil people and lizard people yeah I'm not other sure. side so, <laughs> so my rant over do you yeah do you disagree? Do you acknowledge that this is real? Do you disagree with me? Where do you agree? And what do you think the GOP can do about this that's going on? I mean, it's from the schools up. I mean, this is starting in state-funded schools, right? So, I mean, we're yeah. talking about, this is a government issue um, all the way up. So, sure. And federally funded universities, too, by the way, like grants and whatnot. I mean, do you acknowledge this problem? Am I off? Is there an issue? How do we fight it? No, it's definitely a problem. I mean, CRT right now, or whatever you want to call it, they, they, they changed the name of CRT so they can, they can move around. But this structure of where we tell kids that there's these evil white oppressors and most of them are, you know, straight Christian white men. Um, That is a system I think that is just being used to divide and conquer. I think right now, because, you know, white people are the majority of the country, it's inherently anti-white, but the people that are putting this system into place, they're white people too. They're white billionaires. It's our ruling class. So why are they, you have to ask yourself, why are they doing this? They're doing this to divide us because they don't want strong, independent people. They don't want strong, independent families. That's why the family unit has been under assault now for, for decades. And I think that's where a lot of the, uh, I guess the trans agenda comes along because if you can take away the traditional gender mm. roles and you can make them seem wrong, then you can really start breaking up American families. I think abortion is part of this as well, too. I mean, making abortion on demand available, that makes it harder for family formation, obviously. And then the same thing with shipping our industrial base overseas makes it harder for people to get jobs that can support families. So I really think CRT and all the anti-white rhetoric and all that, that is a system right now that is inherently anti-white. However, 
the goalpost will move to whoever is in power. And we've already seen this with Asians. Asians are getting lumped in right now because Asians do well in college. They get decent paying jobs. Well, we, we want to protect all the whatever, what do they call it? The, the BIPOC or whatever people, except for Asian people. They've been too successful. Yeah. Asians, they're with the white people now. We and, saw- and they've blended <clears throat> the sexualities where the flag yeah. now has black and brown stripes right. because race and sexuality and queerness are cohesive in one. Right. And, and so it, the thing of CRT is <laughs> what people have to realize is that there's always going to be one. one group that is the arbiters of who is the oppressed and who's the oppressors. The goalposts will always move. And the whole the, the whole goal is just to divide us so we can't see this massive corporate system that's screwing us all over. I really feel the same way about like the whole the whole woke ideology. It, it's been used to destroy entire political movements that were anti-corporatism. So I think a lot of times some folks on like the very far right, like Fuentes' crew and all that, they get really hung up on the white issue. Now, now that I have more of them coming to my events to yell at me, I hear this. They're, they're always talking about that. And yes, what I tell them is right now they're going after white people. That is that is true. And we need to get rid of CRT. We need to defund a lot of these uh, universities. The J.D. Vance idea of going after the endowments and taxing them, I think is spot on. Let's let's make that a bill on day one and I'll sign it. Let's let's defund the universities, especially universities. So you like, you like Vance? Stuff. Yeah, I like a lot of what Vance. I'm not like endorsing. Not that no, 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 not that no. I know. I, I say. I, I've endorsed um, him more. I, my yeah. endorsement doesn't fucking matter. Actually, right, exactly. I should not endorse candidates. It's like, it's, I'm going to get a Joe <laughs> his, Kent. I'm going to get a Joe Kent tweet. Like, I disavow his Elijah. <laughs> His co-host is cool. That guy's crazy. Yeah, I want but, one now. But his idea of going after—he—he's laid out. He's—he's he's, uh, articulated very well how we are funding these universities, and these universities are teaching inherently racist, inherently anti-American ideologies that's working against the country. So what are we doing here? So I, I think defunding and going after the endowments, but then also as far as from the federal government, getting rid of the Department of Education is key uh, at the federal level. Like that's very much a state and local issue, but then also going through and using the power of the purse strings. If any bill has anything that involves CRT, teaching kids you know, about the, this hierarchy of racial privilege, we just cut that off. We kill it off. Same thing with the Planned Parenthood sex ed agenda or funding Planned Parenthood in general. So I think that's key. It's so... E- See, Washington has done some jack stuff. Lately. Oh, is this from Jason Rance? I'm just on I like this. I'm just oh, on yeah. this at the moment because I, like Jason. Uh, I started off in the anti-feminist world and used to talk a lot about like men's rights, and I still care about that a lot. Uh, but now I'm very focused on the gender reassignment type yeah. of thing oh, for yeah. kids. Washington's crazy. Yeah, and and Washington is like mature off minor the status. Rails. Yes, and so even I found an article the other day. Um, that actually came out about a month and a half ago that says, you know, Washington laws now allow um, teen gender reassignment surgery without parental consent. And I think oh, this is... Oh, shit, that they passed that. I think so, yeah. Because uh, I, I know, know Oregon's that. done it, um, Vermont I knew, and Washington. Yeah, yeah, I knew Oregon and... Wa- mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but I didn't know that they got that through. Yeah, so um, oh, I think yikes. this is like another thing that it's, it's kind of... It's quite insidious because people aren't noticing that it's happening, but many of the very le- left-appearing states... Uh, are going mad with this type of thing. And I, and I think that, I don't know if you have a position on this. I'm presuming it's it's probably similar to what we in this room feel. Uh, but is that something that you're going to go after? Because I feel like this is one yeah. of the least talked about, but possibly one of the worst things that's happening at the moment, particularly because it concerns children and there's no safeguards, no protections in place. And yeah. parents don't get to say anymore, apparently. 
The mature minor status thing in Washington State is insane when you, when you read into it, how basically the parents don't have any any say on no. wh- what happens with the kids' yep. health, whether they want to get a COVID vaccine, an abortion, a gender reassignment, that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's like a state issue from the federal perspective. I would want to cut off – I would threaten to cut off funding to all those schools that are uh, that have any of those programs that are supporting those programs. Mm-hmm. I think we'd have to hold um, Olympia, our state capital, we'd have to hold them accountable and say, like, we're not going to fund this at all. You, you guys don't get any federal funding for anything that involves gender reassignment for children. And then the same thing with this whole curriculum that's confusing children that are in puberty about gender roles. I have no idea why the schools are teaching – sex period. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that, that that resides with the parents. And so I think the school curriculum should uh, really be decided at the very local level, the school board level, and parents should decide if they want that in there. And I think the vast majority of parents are going to say, thank you very much. Like I'll teach my kids about the birds and the bees. Mm-hmm. And if they have a gender question, we will discuss that, not some random administrator or some random teacher, you know? And, and so, yeah, I, I think this is something we have to really go to war to protect kids and to the, the protect the the sovereignty of families and parents it's really yeah i mean i'm glad because this stuff if i was in charge it would not happen yeah. it's just it grosses me out when you start reading about this and and i think that more people should look into it frankly especially in washington and oregon because it's yep. messed up what are you giggling about <laughs> what are you giggling imagining about? you as a politician I'm moving out. I'd be so scared. You know what? It's funny. I'd be, I'd, I'd be so scared. Elijah, you want to know something? I got to get out of here. You want to know something? When I was younger, my uh, I used to talk about having like kind of megalomania because I'm like, if I took over Australia, I would in fact just you know, make us a little isolated continent that nobody could get to. And I would be like, screw you all. We'll do it all ourselves. I would be crazy. Yes. I, that, I should never, ever be in a position of power and authority. <laughs> yeah. ever he shouldn't own a gun. Would... You shouldn't be in office. <laughs> I we're just, just, we're making rules for the I show. Just, I would be a little, a little off the rails. Well, I volunteered the gun thing. That was a personal, like, I shouldn't. I probably shouldn't <laughs> have one. I've yeah. accepted yeah. Marjorie in office, but I'm still about kicking them all out. I just, I, politicians are kind of evil. Are you evil? Like, you, you don't seem evil. You seem quite nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not evil, but uh, I, I think politicians should be held accountable. I mean, so I, I do a lot of town halls in person and people can come and ask me, hey, why do you feel this way? What's your stance? I heard you say this on Elijah's show. Could, <laughs> yeah. could you say that, you know, maybe we should return to the period of time, like in Greece, like in Athens, where they used to uh, exile politicians that did not fulfill the wishes of the people? Should we I, return I th- to At that? this point, yeah. And there's a lot of neocons that need to be exiled immediately before they get us <laughs> into World War III. We'll just send them to an island or a remote island somewhere. Yeah, they go to the Hamptons. Well, Epstein's yeah, they island. Go, yeah. They're probably quite familiar with that at this stage. We'll oh, just sh- send them there. They've probably Stay been. There. Yeah, I, I know. D- I do have one That was the- a joke. Thank you, Brent. Oh, sorry. I I know, we should it. we should get in some super chats. I got one from Blaze Chat real quick that I also kind of interested in. So you were in the CIA. They wanted to know if you came across any UFOs while you were involved in the agency. I, I unfortunately I don't have any cool <laughs> UFO stories. No, <laughs> you should just made it. You should I, should, I should just make some. Like I've met the I've foreign, met, we the foreign, the, we call them the foreign we creatures. The and they had me. They wanted me to ask a follow up, which was, uh, is the FOIA laws currently kind of being used as a ruse for transparency? Because when you ever ask for anything important, they'll usually give you some sort of, it's going to yeah. cost $250,000 to print all the paper or we'll get this to you in 15 years. And that's something that they wanted me to ask about as well. Because particularly with like 9-11, it took us 20 years to figure out what happened. We're still figuring out what happened in Vietnam, even though we theoretically have ways for the public to access those documents. I mean, if they want to hide something, they'll hide it. I, I, that's the bottom. Like, yeah, so it's intentionally. That's the honest answer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the federal government, like, they don't make anything easy. Yeah. If you're, if, they're, if you're expecting something from the federal government, you know, it's not. Yeah. 
I do. Okay, so let's read a couple of these here. I think we got, uh, before we jump into that though, remember this is an audio only podcast. uh, And so please leave those reviews wherever you can. Become a blind viewer. Understand the (laughs) full experience. The sad part about someone like me is I neither have a great face nor a good voice. So I'm like that duo. So I couldn't be on radio because my voice wasn't good enough and I couldn't be on TV because I'm not handsome enough. So I chose podcasting which is the place where uh, average men go to die. And we sit beside pretty <laughs> girls to like offset our looks. Well, they still had to listen to your voice, Elijah. So yeah, I'm I know. I'm not particularly sure but, that this was a good solution. Yeah, so instead, so in, yeah, but the, the thing is that we have less regulation, so then we just say whatever we want, and so then we get our ideas out. It's crazy. I know, I know. But then you just hire a hot chick next to you and uh, give uh, better ideas, and then you just sit and go, okay, and you get paid. Anyway, uh, if you want to continue those paychecks coming. Thank you lovely compliment. I will take it. <laughs> I will take it. All right. I could have called you equally average, too, you which could, is not you true. You could have. That's Brandon's job. <laughs> Me and Brandon are on the same page there. We got we got we got the stud Kent and the beauty and the beauty Watson. And him and I are just sitting here just we're here to make the show feel relatable. No, you should, you should bring up the average. It's, we're it's here, yeah. Bad. We're here to we're here to relate we have to the homies. In the room, we're the kind know? of we're the kind of people when we have a black friend. I go, "What's up, G?" I'm like, just I just jump into the. And he's like, "My name's Mark, and I'm in from sales. Please don't call me G." Anyway, uh, make sure you leave a podcast review because it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. We're gonna read one now. We'll read one at the end of the show. This is from Re- Re- rigorously blunt said i've transcended humanity thanks to the tard and sydney <laughs> see they call me the tard and the tard and sydney i can say that my iq has reached the quadruple digits wow. i was diagnosed with stage three brain cancer but it miraculously changed into a second brain after watching you are here the doctors think it may have been elijah's fat sh- to shame to elijah's shaming that is true it's fat shaming that encourages the <laughs> cancer to better itself i'm now on the path to goodhood after five months of watching i hear some of you some can transcend as soon as one month after watching yeah it is true if you've been having a sexless marriage, leave a review and you'll find out what we can do for you. If you don't have any fingers and you want them to mm-hmm. grow back, leave a review. They might Reviews, grow back. Who's to say? We can't make medical claims on this show, but since now we can't make any medical claims because YouTube has said we can make hypotheticals and it may cure erectile dysfunction. It also may not. Yeah. But find out today. Leave a review. Let's true. jump into some supers from you guys and uh, and talk to you. Sid, do you want to start here? Do you want to start? Just go from the top and then, I'll go, and then I'll go from the bottom. You want me to go from the yeah, top? Yeah, I'm already open. I'm not. I'm not prepared. All right. Go ahead. All right. This is M. Wait. I want to read a couple of these beforehand just so there's no trap. So excuse me if I'm slow. (laughs) MJ May says, Mr. Kent's interviews on Wrong Opinion introduced him to many and yours tonight. Many more. The country desperately needs new blood. Thanks, Elijah and Sid. And good luck, Mr. Kent. P.S. Josh will be in Texas next week. Um, Floach says... Uh, you, can you read a couple of these so I can read ahead? <laughs> Would you like me to? Okay, did you read there's Sailor? Really did you read Sailor? There's some really good okay, questions. Okay, did, did you read Sailor T? In here? No. Okay, Sailor T says, Hey man, Tyler here, big supporter. Sorry to see her name on the wall at the Fort. Oh, at, at mm. Fort Told? Is that is that the Fort? He means Fort Made, probably. Okay, Fort. Told our mutual friend, Omar Omaria, you were on. She says hello. Or O M A I R A. Omaira. Yeah. That's heavy. That is. That is um, which, what fort is so Fort Meade at the okay. at the NSA. There's a wall of everybody who's been killed in action. So my late wife was a uh, crypto linguist. So she was a signals intelligence interceptor and then also spoke Arabic. Yeah. Man, I uh, I've lost my mom recently too, and that's not my wife, and I don't I don't know how it feels. I just I'm just my hearts are with you, man. Thank you. Say said. Um, <laughs> this is so good. You claim to be a resident of Southwest Washington. Name five strains of meth. <laughs> I was like, I didn't get it. I was like, huh? Corey Alexander says, what are your thoughts on red flag laws and constitutional carry? 
So there's a big period at the end of the Second Amendment. So red flag laws are an infringement. I'm against them. My opponent has voted for them, and she's even publicly advocated for them. Um, constitutional carry, I think, is the Second Amendment. Like, that's all you should need. So I think gun laws are an infringement. I want to get rid of the National Firearms Act, ATF, all that. So the only thing stopping us from being Australia or Canada right now is our guns. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We got one here, too. <laughs> Flock Frost. I'm not reading these ahead, so my apologies to you guys. Trump was elected by white people who were tired of being replaced and disenfranchised. It's more than just being anti-elite. It's about saving wasp culture and broader white American culture. Well, that was just a statement. That wasn't really a question. Okay. <laughs> I've heard that and I disagree with it. I mean, okay. I, I think had Trump, um, Trump didn't win because all the Republicans and white people showed up. I mean, it was a surprise victory because Trump brought together an entire coalition of working class and you know middle class Americans that felt forgotten. Yeah, we're the majority of them white, but Trump made extremely, um, I think, massive gains in the Hispanic community because a lot of these working class issues, they're not about race. And so I think centering on race is just, it's wrong. It's un-American to do. Um, but it's also just factually wrong. Do you don't feel though a little bit that he, like, it's not just focusing on it because I understand a lot of sides of this argument, but that Trump sort of forgot what he ran on in the first place, specifically even with like suburban moms, et cetera. But there was like, this is why there were so many, I, I will say this honestly, there were so many Democrats, yeah, not just white people, but specifically since we are the majority, so many white Democrats that voted for Trump in the first place mm -hmm. because they were being basically like, the Democrats were going away from caring about the white, the white working class man in the Midwest yeah. or whatever. They stopped caring about that, started focusing on immigrants and minorities and women, mm -hmm. which there are women too. But it was like people saw their kids falling behind. They saw the, the manufacturing leaving. They saw yes. people go away from them. Yep. And Trump said, look, we care like like because the other team literally hates white people. We actually do care about white people. And I think that's where people get confused, too, because yeah. it's like. He didn't just care about white people. I think one of his shames was that he went too much into the minorities, where I feel like that's not where his vote was at. They kind of switched in the party to, like, focus. I, the, by the way, the only video I regret making, probably in the history of ever, um, and not because, like, I, I don't regret any videos where I've been wrong, because I'm learning to, but I remember, like, making this video about how Trump was the most pro-LGBTQ, like, recent president, which is true, but who gives a shit? Like, that wasn't how he won, and no one gives a shit about that, and it was, like, the dumbest video I've probably ever made, where it was, like, what they did care about was that he cared about the people who were forgotten, and one of those, the main groups was, like, white working class America specifically, and that's why they call them racist, because he dared to give a shit about white people who have been shat on for decades mm -hmm. now, and, and also told, too, like we're we're told even now, like we're not even supposed to care about our history. Everything's racism. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying. Like, do you do you get my point on that too? Like, where I don't know if you disagree. No, I do. I, I yes, the the majority were were white people, but I think what he brought over to our side, by and large, was the forgotten man and woman. Were some were a lot of them white? Yes, but then also the working class Hispanics, the working class African Americans. I mean, there was a very real thing when Trump said to the black community, like, "What the hell do you have to lose?" And I think that spoke to a, a lot of people throughout the country, not not just black people. So I, I think it, I, I, I really don't like the whole centering things on race because I really think working class and middle class families, and if you care about American families, and I don't think that that's a racial thing, I think, you know, every, people of every color care about their families and want to bring their families and hold them together. I think if that's, if those are your values, and I think those are the majority of the values for people that come to this country legally and are U.S. citizens, that's what our movement has to be all about. Um, and then the whole CRT issue, the anti-whiteness, getting rid of that because that's, that's this more anti-American discrimination. And then, you know, we have to hold our, our history. The full scope of our history is an actual, actually a beautiful thing. I mean, we did have the horrible stain of slavery and segregation, but we learned from it and we grew and we became what we are today. So to deny that is, is horrible as well. So, yeah.
Uh, David asked, Joe, what specifically would you change about the, sorry, about how the intelligence agencies work? What about the problem with outsourcing to contractors? Yeah, there's something there with the the outsourcing of contractors and the intelligence uh, industrial complex. I think the biggest thing we need to do is hold accountable um, everybody who has abused their powers. And we can start with something like January 6th with the FBI, the abuses of FISA with Russiagate. I think Durham's actually delivering on a lot of that, but we need to not stop there and continue to go the way that the, the, uh, the Democrat National Committee put a lot of that uh, opposition research into intelligence channels. And then the tools of the NSA were used against American citizens. The CIA played a role in all of that. So did you know, John Brennan, potentially Gina Haspel. Um, they need to be held accountable. Like this can't just be something that we're like, oh yeah, and then the CIA did that, added to the Wikipedia page. These people need to be brought to heel and, and actually held accountable for their abuses of power. I think that's that's the key place to start is the accountability. Otherwise, I mean, it's we the people that give these institutions power. And if we're going to keep doing that, they have to be accountable to us. Mm-hmm. Here's a question here. It said, why is the CIA and FBI sucking up to China recently? And why is there such a push for the World Economic Forum globalist ideals from the top down? I think because they have so much power. They have so much power and money. I mean, the World Economic Fund has just so much power and so much control with Wall Street, Vanguard, BlackRock, City Street. Like, that is a ton of money. And they're not just shipping our jobs overseas, not just buying up houses here. They're letting the Chinese, you know, buy up our land. They have a good deal of of just raw power. And then you have a lot of legitimate globalists in in our government, these people that truly believe at their core that, yeah. that America is not anything unique, that we're just another nation. You saw a lot of those folks come in with the Obama administration. Biden brought a lot of them back in, the director of the CIA. You know, when he wasn't in the agency, he was, you know, working for, I think, some of the organizations, the Kennedy Center that was backed by the Confucius Institutions. I mean, there is a lot of uh, elite capture that, that's gone on uh, within the highest levels of our government. And China has given the elites everything they want. It's that free market, you, that free market ideology that you can ship our manufacturing base overseas. You can undercut American workers. Then Americans, sovereign Americans actually have less power. And that gives the World Economic Fund and all of our elites just more and more power. Yeah, we have here. I'm just gonna read through a few of these. These are all just statements. Someone said President Fuentes, and then someone asked this too, which is actually an interesting question, and I don't think we're gonna be able to get to it. But it was like, how do you oppose the neocons without opposing Israel lobby? And I think there's that question of not just Israel lobby, but a lot of lobbies. Like, how do you how do you get a rid of neocons without opposing like like money and influence? With the neo- neocons have so much power, and a lot of like our battles that we fight, for instance, like I want to fight here in Mexico. So my question to you is then, like, how do we get away from fighting foreign policy, foreign wars, and yeah. different things, and get into like how many people have been killed in the drug war? Is it 14? No, 14 million in the Congo, but I think it was like 800 and something thousand in the last several years. Like we're, there's a war being fought here oh, yeah. and it's a problem. Like how do we get away from all these foreign interest lobbies? Even the, the, I don't know if it's a Ukraine lobby, but like even the lobby trying to get us to fight in Ukraine, where it's like, fuck, we don't want that. We want to like, our Southern border shit. How do we like protect ourselves like now and here? I think we have to make it a priority. I mean, that's that's the big thing. I mean, especially the economic stuff we talked about with China, how they're at war with us. But then the border, I mean, that's huge. The, the amount of fentanyl that's coming across the border, killing Americans. I mean, I, my district's right between failing sanctuary cities, Portland and Seattle. I-5 runs right, right through us. And we've had this massive up, uptick in crime. And so this is something that affects pretty much every American, this, this Amazon war. Amazon just take, was it Amazon? Brandon, you were telling me mm-hmm. this earlier, or I read this the other day. 
Someone took a major company took their business out of Washington. Out of Seattle. Or yeah, because of the crime. Yeah, out, out of Seattle because Seattle is just absolutely a, a failed third world almost it's city. And so like I think, shit. I think it's like a close to two thousand jobs are slowly quietly leaving mm-hmm. uh Seattle. The same thing's been happening yeah. in Portland. Portland's a little bit smaller and so the businesses haven't been that big, but the financial backbone is all have leaving. you been there? Have you been, like it's crazy mm-hmm. going to downtown Portland? Out there's nobody Sad. there. Just it's empty. It's it's it's, well, it's, it's because like a ghost there's town. little militias running around and like, there's and, militias and building yeah. their little chazes and yeah. whatnot. Their autonomous yep. zones. I know it's like it's so funny. It's like we're yep. fighting foreign wars like in Afghanistan while we're our country's like under siege for a year straight from right. radicalists, leftists, and mm-hmm. you're going. That's my point. Is like funded by the vice president. Like yeah. I know. By the way, yeah. so good. Yeah, there's there's a. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of traps in here. No, for, I'm, for I, you. There's there's I'm like, no anybody who's trying to trap me these days. You're just you're <laughs> just losers. I, I can't did, even handle it. I did it. like um, this one from Brian Schultz. It said after 21 years of war, the only invasion Elijah wants is a deep incursion into Kazakhstan, where he will leave men behind after a messy pullout. That is Brian. <laughs> That's my wife's name is Kez. I, I oh. would like. <laughs> I think this is interesting. This is from like, Island Thrift. They're creative. You got to have the creative That's... super chats. That's pretty good. Uh-huh. Island Thrift says this is a statement. Joined as a liberal, voted Obama absentee from Iraq to get out of the wars. Ended up serving four tours in Iraq, three in Afghanistan, Georgia, and Africa. Saw the most shady things our government was doing to us working in SOF. What's SOF? Oh, Special Operations Forces. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting. Um, Holy Warrior says your wife is a hero in our community here in Georgia and then asks, are you conservative? Which I'm pretty sure yes. you are Damn. conservative. I have one here too. That and then says, what's your stance on immigration? Oh. These are big questions. Yeah, though. I was like, we don't have time for it. <laughs> yeah, this is a good time. one though. Uh, this one's from Cactus Productions. It said, hello, yeah, crew from Eugene, Oregon. Joe, yeah, I cool. hope that we can get more America first people in the Pacific Northwest, especially since Kate Brown will have to step down as governor this year. Any good candidates you can think of? I don't know the Oregon race very well, to be honest, uh, for governor. I think there's like two Republicans so far that have declared. Yeah, well, th- there you go. And I, I think also, too, if you want to, um, Katie Davenport. Yes. Uh, you can follow yeah. her. She's she's really keeping up on in both states and really up in what's going on in Oregon and what's going on in, in Washington together. And so she's working, I think, right now for the post-millennial. I don't know if she's still working there, but you can find her, Katie Davenport, and she's up to she's date with a lot of now. what's going on there. Um, just a couple things. We have uh, Patrick B. Secker says, neighbor to your district over here in Tri-Cities, Joe, 2A rights are being attacked in Washington. If elected, what plans do you have to protect them? That's just, I guess we'll end with that that comment. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, the big period at the end of the Second Amendment. So get rid of the National Firearms Act. I think constitutional carry, uh, whether concealed or open, is just a God-given right. For every American, get rid of the ATF as well. I mean, we need we need our firearms to keep a oppressive government at bay. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna say we see like there's so many big questions, like your opinions on Assange heads. and Snowden, um, p- questions about our allies. There's questions about Nick Fuentes. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of super chats, and we do actually read them after as well, and a lot of just statements, which we do appreciate from you guys. You just get your thoughts out and like let it know, and we do see all of this, and I I really do uh, do appreciate that. If it, sorry to interrupt you, Elijah, yeah. but if anybody wants any more information, because there are a lot of questions for you directly. That's what I was can, hinting where, at. I was like, clearly yeah, people have a <laughs> ton of shit to try to like figure out about you. So yeah. where can they go to yeah. find out more things? JoeKentForCongress.com. To, so. to, to, to support you, yell at you, donate yep. to you, and ask you questions. <laughs> That's it. You're a politician. You get the front of the shit all the time, the good and the bad and the ugly. It's yep. true. Yep. We're, I'm out in the district quite a bit. I mean, we're doing three or four town halls per week. So I'm here, here in Dallas for a couple of days, but then we'll be back in the district and back at it. So if people are in the area, come out to a town hall and ask. But JoeKentForCongress.com is the place to do everything else. I was just thinking, it was like the good, bad, and the ugly. Being from Washington and having been close to Portland and Seattle, must be very familiar with the ugly. Ooh, oh, I don't yeah. know. What's, yeah, <laughs> a lot of those people are just very... Uh, 
interesting. They're like demonic looking. De- they're like satanic-y people. It's gross. <laughs> satanic-y people. Yeah, it's, it's not even a word to describe them. It's just like, they smell like sulfur. It's true. Yeah, that's probably, that is probably true. They probably have a lot in common with Nancy Pelosi. But before, guys, we uh, we head out for the evening. Two things. If you're still here on YouTube, thank you very much. Smash the like button. Helps us tremendously. We also love having you. And also, let's read that. We have a second podcast review, don't we? Mm-hmm. Let's read that one. Hopefully, I won't butcher this, uh, as I often do. Brandon, can I have that? Thank you very much. This is from... Jurek Park. Uh, I'm saved. I used to be a porn addict, but now I just <laughs> ill I jack off to this. I haven't visited a porn website in months. And thanks to Brandon, I've saved thousands of dollars for, by switching from expensive, sensitive skin lotion to egg whites. Sydney, when can you start selling body pillows of Brandon? Uh, listen, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to make them. But listen, the hamster shape, it's very challenging. Uh, maybe one day if, uh, if you guys ask me enough, there will be body pillows of Brandon. I'll make them redheads just to just so that you know who he is. Just to make me mad. Just to know so they know who you are, Brandon. Oh, okay. Otherwise, it okay. doesn't make any sense. Okay. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> I just really like how we've said that plus plus points for lying on how this show helps you. I really want people to find this show, read it, which is doing great, by the way. Thank you guys. Every you know, you watching this, you you make the show incredible. You make it amazing. We're very happy that you guys stick around. But also too. I, lo- I just want someone to find the show accidentally, get it recommended to them, go yeah. to the reviews, and it's like we're curing erectile dysfunction, <laughs> we're curing porn addictions. Like I want it to just seem like what is going on in that show? You know, like people like divorced their wife, then got back with her, and then they cured their that, problem. That review that someone left us that was like it made me leave my bitch wife. I was like, yes, yeah, that was great. yeah, that was so great. Kicking your kids out of the house, whatever uh. we make you do. Obviously, the show is is uh, we 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 have a huge shout out to uh, Joe Kent who's, who's running for Washington District Three with with the endorsement endorsement of uh, the Donald J. Trump, the the former president, and as I like to say, because they always say on TV, former president, that we never started saying that until now, so President Donald Trump, uh, who very well could still be, but not really isn't, I don't know, who knows, um, YouTube says no, uh, Sydney Watson, um, really appreciate it, do you, want to, do you want to give Joe Kent the ability to close out the show? Do you want to close out our show? Sometimes we give guests the ability oh. yeah, to we, end our show. You play music, you have like 15 seconds to address the camera and say whatever you want to America. It Are can you down? be vote for sure. me, or it yeah. can be like, hey guys, thanks for, you know, have a great night, whatever you want to say. Is that you? Yeah, I can do that? And when it goes to the sure. wide cam, you have like three seconds left. Oh, Just gotcha. so you know, like you once it goes wide, it's like... So I'm looking at this camera here? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. gotcha. All right, you got about 15 seconds, let's cue the music, God. Take it away. All right, I'm Joe Kent running for Congress in Washington State, endorsed by President Trump, running against one of the impeachment voter rhinos. And this election is absolutely critical. We have a chance to take our country back for we the people against the corporate ruling class. Keep us out of endless wars. Bring back our manufacturing. Take on China. Seal off our borders and put American families first. Thank you very much and God bless.